Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. I am John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So uh, we are closing in on uh, 80% of the country uh, having gotten at least one dose of the vaccine of one of the three vaccines um uh 18 and up is at 78 percent as of today which means that by friday i think we should be at 80 12 and up is at 76 all ages are at 65 because obviously people under 12 have not yet been approved for the vaccine and yet the uh culture war over the so-called vaccine mandates appears to be heating up Texas Governor Greg Abbott announcing yesterday uh, that he is, it's a little confusing, he is attaching to a piece of legislation in Texas a uh, refusal to allow any entity to have a vaccine mandate, which I guess presumably means not only governmental state local entities, but private ones as well, which would seem to be a violation of elementary conservative and Republican ideas about the rights of private businesses to conduct their business as they see fit. And simultaneously, um, we have a bizarre fact, I would say, in terms of vocabulary, which is the use of the word mandate. So a mandate, according to the dictionary, is an official decree or government rule or official rule. Um, And we, in fact, when you say, so the government can mandate vaccines under circumstances or mandate things under circumstances in which they have control of certain institutions, that are governmentally run, like schools or like the military or like the places of public employment or or things like that. The word mandate is improperly used when it refers to a, a private business like American Airlines declaring that every one of its employees needs to be vaccinated or they will be subject to dismissal. That is not a mandate. Private businesses set their own rules and terms as long as they are congruent with (coughs) state, local, and federal law. And everything is now dovetailing together so that uh, what's more, I think, and this is the last, you know, sort of point I'll make in this monologue. uh, It's a month or something since Joe Biden said that he was going to impose a vaccine mandate on the country in some fashion using the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, I don't believe that those rules have been promulgated. I don't think that document exists that OSHA has gone through whatever process OSHA has to go through before it sends all of those documents to everybody, every you know business in the country of the sort of thing that it does, let's say if you run a chemical business or something like that, about what the safety protocols might be handling hazardous materials or whatever. I don't think that document exists, which means, in fact, that the vaccine mandates nationally 
are not in in place and are not enforceable because there is no vaccine mandate. And when a private business like American Airlines says you're getting vaccinated or you are not coming to work, again, that's not a mandate. That is a workplace rule being set by an employer. And everybody is jumbling everything together. To say that American Airlines is having, you know, success because 98 or 99% of its employees have now gotten the jab is not to say that Biden has succeeded with his vaccine mandate. That is actually American Airlines saying, we're not going to put, you know, we, we need you to be vaccinated. We can't have you not vaccinated. Don't come to work or we will, you know, initiate dismissal. So whatever it is. If you if you do that, and and apparently it was sufficient unto the day to get their workforce to full strength. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I think United Airlines, for example, is a better example <clears throat> because they 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 have like ninety eight percent vaccination, something along these lines, because they dismissed everybody who wasn't vaccinated. <laughs> it's an easy way to get to almost one hundred percent when you just put everybody on unpaid leave who isn't vaccinated. Um, I'm probably writing on this today, and I only have so many thoughts. So uh, if you if you read my piece later, you know, forgive me for being repetitive, but um, the uh, vaccine hesitation towards vaccine mandates on the right seemed to me a very principled position, one that could be easily articulated not too long ago. These are hastily done. They're executive orders. There's no legislative input from competing interest groups. Uh, and there's no protections for civil rights violations. Uh, there's no disability protection. There's no disparate impact studies. We've talked about all this. Um, and to that extent, it's an easily articulable position that vaccine mandates from a public sector enterprise that are just handed down by fiat are going to be violative. They're going to violate civil rights. And I'm sure they will and have in ways that the courts haven't yet adjudicated, um, which is an easy thing to say. I don't know how to articulate Governor Abbott's position anymore. Uh, and if you're going to adopt a position that is wildly out of step with the public, which is something I like to do as a uh, an articulate uh, articulator of a philosophy that espouses you know foreign policy projection, power projection, uh, the maintenance of American empire abroad, which isn't a very popular position, but it's one that's easily articulated in my view. If you're going to have that policy, you better be able to say it in a sentence. I can't figure out what they're saying in a sentence now. That's just not mandates bad. Public sector mandates bad i get all mandates bad is not a serious position well i mean i look i don't agree with it but i think i think there's a somewhat simple way to break it down which is that private sector and as as john says they're not really mandates they're just uh, you know uh uh employment rules Employment um, rules with the executive branch, you know, waiting in the wings, holding a loaded gun. I but, mean, but, it's not it's not as though this is this was a decision. But, the private sector was induced. But but the uh, but but I think effectively the, the argument is that they are effectively. Um, public sector. Mandates, because if you can't if you if you can no longer work uh, unless you do something. Um, well, then, then that functions uh, no differently from a, a, a you know a legally designated mandate. Biden can say it is now the policy of the government of the United States that everybody must be vaccinated according to our mandate, but he's got to sign a piece of paper that says it. 
And the rules have got to be promulgated by an official agency and sent to everybody in America. And that hasn't happened. So that's why I am confused about this. What we know is that there are places where patience was, you know, everybody's patience was at an end, like the New York City public school system. So they said, that's it. You're getting vaccinated or you're not coming to work and we're not paying you. It wasn't, by the way, just saying you're not coming to work because it could be a circumstance in which you could say I'm coming to work and they would go, great, <laughs> I'll just not come to work and you'll still pay me because of union rules. But apparently there is some, you know, circumstance under which they could have the enforcement of actually having their salaries basically, you know, cashiered. And, uh, and, and that was enough to get tens of thousands of people who had not done so, so far to get themselves jabbed. Um, that is kind of a mandate, but even that is not a mandate as we would as we would understand. It's not a federal mandate. It was a local mandate. It was a state mandate. It did not did not flow from the White House. And they still sued. They still took that to court. The municipal unions in New York City went to court to argue against that mandate. The judge said no. Through you know, well, a judge said, said no. Then a judge then a judge on appeal. Uh, stayed the original no, and then the delayed, second yeah. appeal, whatever you know, when it went up the chain the third time, said no, no, no. The first judge was right. The rule stands. You have to get vaccinated. So it not only went and through th- courts; it went through three different court proceedings. Right, and I think they're still hope, holding out hope for some sort of emergency order from the Supreme Court. Like they're not giving up. The union is still fighting this, as right. far as I know. But it's fighting it basically on you know on principle or basically as a kind of marker that you know you're not going to impose rules on us uh, that you know don't come uh, entirely out of our contract negotiations, and we will fight you every step of the way whenever you try to do so. But that's different. So Abbott, the Abbott thing is weird, is that Abbott in July said, uh, you know, we are going to, you know, basically said we're we're not going to impose any kind of a rule on private businesses. Private businesses can do what they want. And then yesterday apparently said private businesses can't do what they want. Nobody is going to be allowed if this whatever this thing is passes the Texas state legislature. That's what's a weird thing because it's not like he's declaring it exactly. Um, uh, you won't be allowed to tell people to get a, a vaccine if you're a private employer. The question politically is what moved Greg Abbott off the totally standard Republican position, which is, you know, vaccine should be voluntary, but we're not going to interfere with the with the relationship between the employer and the employed. It's not our business. These are private employers. They set their workplace rules. They have their own, you know, comfort level, comfort zones with this, that, or or their or their customers. You know, if they're front facing, they have people who are front facing and they want to be able to tell their customers that everybody who is front facing is vaccinated, then they should be allowed to do so. And he basically said yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to allow that anymore if to the extent that I I can do that, which means the politics have changed in his state and that this this the case for doing this, uh, you know, that the resistance has gotten more radical and that Abbott is this is is feeding the beast. And that's the interesting aspect here, which is that well, as we, of- the, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, part of what we've seen on the populist right now for the past few years 
one, I mean, yeah, one aspect of it is, of course, about liberties. Um, uh, but uh, a part of it that I think is in conflict with the idea of personal liberty, um, it's sort of an internal contradiction of, of the moment, is, is the anti-corporate sentiment and the, and the anti-business sentiment uh, among the populists, right? They, they have seen corporations, businesses, obviously, especially online uh, tech, tech businesses, but, but more generally as a kind of enforcement arm of, uh, of the government, of the federal government. Uh, a lot of, a lot of, about a lot, but many people on the populist right sort of blame uh, corporations, big business, whatever, whatever the private sector version is of the establishment, uh, they sort of blame them for a lot of the um, cultural cultural revolution uh, aspect of things happening, you know, the sort of uh, enforcement of speech codes and things along that nature, and um, and yeah, and and going along with with pandemic uh, vigilance is 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 part of that, right? And that is a that's yeah. a shift on the right. I mean, you know, because obviously. Uh, the the knock the suppose on the right was was with the was the alleged idea that you know that uh, conservatives are facilitators of of bend over backwards for 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 private enterprise. Okay, so that's what we have to separate this out. So there's like biz, big business, there's like fashionable business, and there's small business. So the historical picture of the Republican Party is that it is the party of main street that it's the party of the small you know or or at least pretty much in the last 60 years it's the party of the small business owner uh who is increasingly finding himself under what he considers assault from the growing regulatory regime that says that he a guy with nine or ten or eleven employees has to fulfill the same kinds of uh, internal regulatory requirements that a company with 10,000 employees and, and way more money than he makes have to fulfill and that this imposes an undue burden on him and that the deregulatory quality of the Republican Party, a lot of it was meant to serve the small businessman, to help the small businessman who does not have a lobbyist in Washington to help him undercut or get out uh, from under um, onerous regulatory regimes. Then there's big business, and there's and uh, Democrats and liberals have always attempted to elide Republicans and big business and Republicans and small business. But big business is much less uh, uh, a much less partisan object. Uh, big businesses uh, lobby the same senators that small businesses do. Big businesses seek the same kinds of specialized tax breaks at the state level or even at the federal level that, you know, and, and all of that. And they use both parties and they're there no matter who's in and who's out to get their, to get their way. And then you have sort of the question of who they serve at, at times of political crisis. So what they generally have decided to do is go along with the culture as we understand it, not attempting to change it or to be representatives of America, its greatest, but to kind of like sue for peace with the pangendra of our culture who starts saying, you need to do this for fairness, you need to do that for fairness, you need to do the other for fairness. 
and the populist right that is increasingly hostile to you know american culture in the hands of liberals has now elided all this together also to say that business is bad business is now a handmaiden of the radical left is is forcing the radical left agenda on everybody and they're bad too and they need to be stopped and if they agree to a policy that says we don't want the employees here who aren't vaccinated they are somehow simply becoming part of this gigantic evil machine that has combined liberal social politics socialist economic politics and uh, whatever else and 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 sort of um top-down politics to oppress everybody but there there is one exception to that to that portrait of of what big business does and that is big tech they do not just give their money equally to both parties and in the last election almost all of their employees and and the they're giving money mainly to Democrats. They gave to Joe Biden's campaign. An overwhelming percentage of their money went to Joe Biden. And they gave a lot of money to the Democratic super PAC. So I do think there is, there's a weird, there's a lot of shifting going on with that where large businesses, I mean, banks still, banks, credit card companies tend to divvy it up and lobby both sides of the aisle because as you said, John, they want to get rules passed that are favorable to them regardless of who's in office. Big tech is not that straightforward. They have, they have, they throw a lot more money at the Democrats than they do at Republicans. I'm not really talking about campaign contributions here. I mean, this is a much more you know complex issue involving companies that employ tens of thousands of people in a state whose relationships... It's not all that complicated. With... These are major firms, some of which you're talking about are publicly traded. They have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to maximize profits. To do so means to operate in an environment that is typified right now by Democratic overweening control of private sector industries. And so they have to comport with those mandates. The alternative articulated by Republicans now on the populist side is to fight regulatory capture with more regulatory capture, which doesn't quite make a lot of sense. Right. Well, so let's, so here's the point that I want to get, get, get at politically. So Greg Abbott says in July, we're not going to tell businesses what to do in relation to their employees and the vaccine. And in October, he says we are. And we're going to tell them that they can't impose, they can't tell their employees that they need to get the vaccine. Is Abbott, so I'm always biased toward the idea that successful electoral politicians understand the politics of their states better than people like us sitting on a Zoom at, you know, eight o'clock in the morning talking about this. Um, What does Abbott know? Is this issue biting in a way that it does him extreme, it will provide him with an extreme advantage going into 2022 when he's facing Better O'Rourke and Matthew McConaughey uh, in a in a potential Texas, you know, in a hootenanny of a Texas governor's race? Uh, what What is it that he thinks he has to do? to get on the right side of this issue because he had already staked out a perfectly defensible and uncontroversial position on the right that apparently was insufficient. It was insufficient. Why would he change? Why would he go come out out of nowhere and alter the dynamic of something that he had put in place three months ago that didn't seem to be, you know, hurting him or particularly helping? I don't know. 
this is the problem. And I, I think you're probably right that he's got a, <clears throat> his finger is closer to the pulse than ours. Um, and he knows what his best political incentives are here. <clears throat> but vaccine mandates are wildly popular, to my dismay. Really, really popular. And if you're going to oppose them, you had better articulate a principled position that doesn't change with the vagaries of whatever political winds are blowing in one direction or the other. It has to be rooted in principle. And this is rooted in paranoia. I, I You know, so I looked up. So Texas is pretty much... It's in like the upper third of states with vaccination numbers or where the upper half or something. It's at 60 percent. Right. So New York's like close to 80. It's at 60. Um, of course, a lot of Texas is rural. And so the you know population numbers, you know, it may be there may be an explanation beyond the literally political for why people are resisting. Like they don't want to go drive 200 miles to get a shot, you know, or something like that. Uh, if it's not, you know, readily available near them or they, whatever, but uh, it's not like Texas is a resistor state. I mean, it is at three fifths and this is what gets to, let me, let me ask you this question. We're told that vaccine mandates are popular. I say when you poll and say, should people be forced to get the vaccine? Let's say the numbers are very high. And we, again, we have, we have approaching 80% of Americans, you know, who can get the shot getting the shot um but so who's the 20 percent is the 20 percent is 80 percent of the 20 percent republican does that mean it's disproportionately republican and what's more those people are crazy base voters and you better cater them or they're going to come and you know they're going to come out of nowhere and there's going to be an anti-vax candidate who is going to knock greg greg abbott off his perch or I mean, I think the vaccine mandate stuff is very commonsensical like this, which is, A, there's a vaccine. I got it. You should get it, right? I got it. I'm 75% of the country. I got it. Don't be a sissy. <laughs> Go get a shot. And the other is that everybody in America remembers that they got vaccinated as a kid. So it's like, what do you mean? Of course you have to get vaccinated. You got vaccinated when you were a kid. You know, remember how that, that was when you went to the doctor and you had to get your your MMR or whatever it was, like, what's what's the big deal? And then there are people for whom it is an enormously big deal for reasons that go beyond everything that's going on here. They have paranoid delusions about the nature of vaccines in general. They have, they have been fed horribly, monstrously inaccurate information about the dangers of vaccines. And you dovetail that with Gadsden flag, don't tread on me populism and you have this kind of perfect storm it's just that the governor of the second largest state in the country finding it necessary to cater to that opinion set there's also the, the it also he's creating a new problem for himself if you think about it because a lot of the biz, a lot of the large businesses in his states in his state have already first of all they do business in a lot of different states not just Texas so I'm thinking here but both American Airlines and Southwest Airlines are headquartered in Texas they do business across the entire country obviously some of the major healthcare institutions the private hospitals in in Texas have already you know long ago said they were going to have these vaccine man vaccine requirements for their staff so it's strikes me as odd that he's he's introducing a problem for himself with these companies as well these companies whose employees um some of whom might be vaccine resistors but 
but for him as a governor, both for fundraising reasons and for and for uh, you know touting his ability to keep businesses in Texas, he's he's throwing a wrench in that as well. I mean, didn't Elon Musk just announce that Tesla's going to move to Texas too? Like he's actually become this mecca away from these weirdly highly regulatory states like California for some of these businesses. So I feel like that confuses his messaging on that as well. So it's, I'm, I'm baffled as well, John, but I, I find it interesting that the airlines, you know, we've had this whole kerfuffle with Southwest airlines this week. I don't know if that has something to do with it or not. Well, that's something we should sort of talk about, but before we talk about that, let me talk to you about Bambi. Uh, Cause you know, when running and we're, we're talking about uh, businesses and how to run them. And when running a business, HR issues can kill you, wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and HR manager salaries aren't cheap, an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you can change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding determinations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month, month-to-month. No hidden fees. Cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time in HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash commentary right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash commentary, spelled BAM to the B-E-E dot com slash commentary i um so southwest airlines had this terrible thousands of flights canceled thing happen in florida mostly in florida this weekend and there are some other things going on and we are being told without any shred of evidence that the reason that this is going on is that there's been some kind of a walkout sick out labor unrest thing relating to vaccine mandates that pilots have decided they're not flying because they are they don't want to get the jab and this is their version of walking with their feet and showing their power and all of that and the problem is that there's no evidence that this is the case by which i mean there are 10 billion ways people communicate now right there are Facebook groups, there are Reddits, there are, you know, 4chan, there's Twitter, there's this and that. If thousands of employees of Southwest Airlines had somehow achieved some decision that they were going to act collectively in order to make a statement about what is going on at their airline, how is it possible four days into the trouble that we would know absolutely nothing about it? That one tweet, that one text, that one posting in a Facebook group would not have emerged to let us know that somebody was organizing this and and that it was being organized for this purpose. They're also barred, by the way, they're, the, the, the pilots are barred. Federal law bars pilots from, from doing exactly that. Um, they are not allowed to do that. Um, and they would be in violation of the law if they did do that kind of sick out. And the, and the airline claims that a lot of the problems were lower level staffing issues, like trying to get, a lot of people took buyouts during the pandemic when, when air, airlines lost a ton of their business and they've 
they're bringing in and training new people right now. There's a lot of, you know, logistical challenges with that, evidently. I mean, the, the, it's the Occam's razor issue, right? Like the easy, the simple explanation is probably true here. I, but, but I think there's a, there's a media narrative driven impulse to say, look how terrible people resisting vaccine mandates. They're disrupting everything. They're awful. We need more mandate. You know, we need the federal government to step in here. There, there's a strain of that in the way that this story, the rumors about the pilots were covered over the weekend. And then there's also this anarcho-syndicalist thing on the right, which is look at the glorious efforts being made by America's workers to deny this, you know, uh, megastate, this leviathan made up of some of businesses and government that is oppressing us and turning us, you know, into you know pre-solidarity Poland. Uh, look at look at the glorious way they are voting with their feet. Which, again, would be an interesting argument to have were there the slightest evidence or indication that this is actually what's happening. We're just now in a world in which people assert things that they wish to be true, then act as though they're true, and then other people react to the reaction as though it's true. So you have this confluence of the left that wants to say, you know, conservatives are evil. They're destroying our economy with their crazy anti-vax walkouts. And uh, people on the right who are like, look at this glorious moment in which we are saying we will take it no longer. And the two of them together create a kind of ideological phalanx against the middle. I mean, I, you know, Abe, help me out here. Explain to me what's going on. I well, that's that's no, that's the story of everything. It's this un- unholy alliance of 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 antagonists. You know, it's like that. <laughs> Every step of the way, um, the the idea is to enrage the other side by being exactly what they accuse you of being. I mean, but what you're alleging is even more bizarre than I think you've even articulated. I mean, <clears throat> you have the right now sort of talking themselves up into the idea of, you know, very international workers of the world style general strikes and defiance of the, of the state that isn't happening. That isn't real. I, if, if, and I'm reading a New York times account of the Southwest airlines thing, which suggests that you're probably right. Although it defies, you know, common sense, you would think logically that this event a would lead to event B seeing given their proximity, but a more likely explanation is a military exercise combined with weather, combined with air traffic control problems, lead, stemming from a labor shortage, contributing to this particular airline having more problems than other airlines that actually let go of more employees as a response to their vaccine mandates. I mean, it does that does seem to you know check out, even though it, you know flies in the face of what you would believe if you steep yourselves in ideological media and politics on a day to day basis. So you're talking about an an industry that is working itself up into a froth and indeed establishing a program to address conditions that don't exist. Look, but you know, but yeah. say, there's there's a very eerie way in which um making these public diagnoses of problems that that aren't accurate can kind of conjure them up. Um you can you can especially if you have a public voice you can you can turn this into uh, a, a kind of you know uh, workers of the world unite uh, moment if 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 you want to uh, it's po- it's possible I mean, it's not inevitable 
but pe- people will, you know, you, you assert that argument publicly and then people seize on it and then people embrace it and, and you can shape events um, with your biased interpretation of them. And that, that's something we're seeing constantly. Well, I mean, you can even say that about January 6th, which is <clears throat> we have, we have this, mind. well, we have that we have this weird confluence of, of, uh, hysterical raging opinion among people who believe that January 6th represents a moment in time in which if we do not do something to short circuit this sort of determined Maoist march, our democracy is going to be destroyed. And we saw it all in chrysalis on January 6th. And we saw, you know, what we saw was the jackboots you know, we saw 1931, 1933, soon it will be 1938, and, and you know, we're all there. And then from the, from the other side, which I think began with the idea of, what are you going so crazy for? Yeah, it was terrible, but, you know, it was just a bunch of stumble bums, and it all sort of happened in this weird way. Now we have Trump sending messages to the family of the woman who was shot coming through the door saying... You, you know, basically your daughter was assassinated. We need to do something about this. So there is on the one hand, the, the thing that we saw that was a, as, a, as appalling as anything that I've ever seen, but really does not really suggest anything much about how things are going to go in the future being talked about as though it was, it were the Reichstag fire. And then uh, after a time, the forces, you know, arrayed against those voices, Bob Kagan's voice and all of that, start taking on the martyrology of, you know, of a, of a revolutionary movement. And so, yeah, you can sort of incept uh, a political crisis out of nothing. Not out of nothing, but you know what I mean. You can incept a political crisis out of a common misunderstanding the virtue of which is that it it empowers both sides at once. It empowers the January sixth was an you know was an unprecedented evil that must be extirpated at any cost. Crew by saying like all rules are suspended. If you're a conservative Republican, you need to vote for the six trillion dollar spending that Biden wants in order to prevent Trump from coming back. And then on the other side, it's like. You need to accept that the Capitol Police were assassinating Ashley Babbitt. Why that helps their cause, I don't know, but it creates a martyrology. And and yeah, that that's part of what's what what's going on here. Noah, you said, and I just wanted to give you a minute to to go through this because it's been weeks since we've talked about it. You said that you're distressed at how popular the vaccine mandate is, as a you know, maybe as a philosophical matter but that you see that it's it's very popular. Why, why are you distressed? What is it about this that 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 uh, that you you dislike? Um <clears throat> I'm distressed by several aspects of it. Um the most pressing now <clears throat> being the um fairly unprecedented, I don't want to say unprecedented because I haven't done enough research to justify the claim. Um but fairly unprecedented intervention by um, the uh, an executive agency, absence any legislative input into the affairs of private industries, private businesses, um, there are 
exceptions made for disabled and uh, and otherwise, you know, people who are unable to get the vaccine only on a case by case basis. Um, it's subject to the interpretation of individual employers, which I don't think is sufficient. Uh, and also that the establishment of this, as I said in the very beginning of this pandemic, the establishment of a, of a vaccination regime that, for example, uh, would bar or prohibit the uh, dispensation of services to certain people based on their vaccination status, some of whom have perfectly legitimate, as I said, exemption reasons, reasons to be exempt uh, from getting vaccinated, would a lead to a violation of their rights and create a multi-tiered society, a stratified society in which certain services were not available to certain persons. Um, which is not a condition I find particularly acceptable. So I have several objections to vaccine mandates, and also in part because the population that I'm describing is infinitesimally small, small enough to the point where they're a minority whose rights need to be preserved, but do not represent in any way, shape, or form a threat to our public health objective, achieving herd immunity. So I don't see this regime as being um, a necessary evil uh, when confronted with the violations of the civic compact that it presents. You know, I, I'm, I'm fascinated because listening to some of the objections in New York city to the vaccination of, 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 um, of school employees, um, there was this, you know, these people keep coming up and saying that they have a religious objection to taking the vaccine. Um, and, you know, as I'm a member of a minority religion, Jews make up 2% of the population in the United States. I am very, very conscious of the need for the protection of minority rights in, in regards, uh, you know, certain types of things that might otherwise be mandated against. Having said that, I'm I'm only aware of one or two faith traditions that really would say that there is a religious reason not to get vaccinated, Christian science being an obvious one, and Seventh-day Adventists, as far as I understand it, in certain conditions being others. And so when I hear people say that they have a religious objection, uh, my bullshit detector goes up. Like, I, I think this is like an exception to the rule, but saying like, I, my, my, the God that I believe in doesn't want me to have a vaccine is not a religious objection. That's just a, you know, that's just a kind of, you know, using something as, as an excuse. And basically until, I don't know, really until the uh, HPV vaccine, as far as I'm aware, back in, what was that, like 2011, 2012, also largely centered in Texas. I mean, there was no such thing as an anti-vaccine, like, movement in the United States. I mean, there were there were ideas largely based on this world of people who came to, who were lied to about the possibility that vaccines cost autism. But that really started in the late, mid to late 90s. And before that, everybody in the United States had their children vaccinated without a second's peep. Like, that wasn't because we were all cattle. People in this country aren't cattle, you know? People had vastly more difficulty dealing with motorcycle helmet laws than they did when they were when they were promulgated in the 1980s than they did with vaccine mandates for children going to schools in the United States. 
I mean, I, you know, that's so, you know, if, if the idea is that, you know, the federal government or governments don't have the right to mandate that you behave in any possible way, that's a that's a serious argument. And I and I understand it, but um, it com- flies in in it, it contradicts one aspect of your uh, ideas, Noah, which is that um, you are permitted not to get a driver's license. Right, but you don't have you don't have a right to drive a car. The well, you are permitted to send your children to a private school if you don't yes. want them to be vaccinated to to go to a public school. Ah, it's not that, that you simple, have an though. option because that is a federally governed enterprise. It is That's not a public sector uh, enterprise. It's not a private sector enterprise. Not that simple, by the way, <laughs> in terms of private schooling, because private schools get certain kinds of benefits and help and aid from public services that then actually oblige them to be part of vaccine regimes, uh, you know, in, in, in the States often, but Christine, I, can I just interject and say, there is one other thing kind of culturally, socially in the air right now that is different from just the childhood vaccination and, and people's willingness to, to get vaccinated as a requirement. And that's that we had this weird combination of the emergency use authorization period being quite long, um, but the need for this vaccine being extremely dire and people being willing to say, I don't care if it's emergency use. It's all we've got. This is a terrible pandemic. We've got it. We've got to get vaccinated. Eventually that was lifted. But I don't think in the minds of a lot of people that the the it's still considered they still consider it very experimental. They don't know the long term that the fear is a genuine fear that I think often gets poo pooed by, you know, elite types who who want to think that people are just ignorant. But it's a genuine concern about long term consequences. That's one thing. The other thing is that People don't want mandates from a public health technocracy that has been so bad about about what is needed when and what we should be doing to protect ourselves and and has reversed its course and its messaging, depending on whether there's a social justice cause people should be taking to the streets for. That mistrust plus the fear leads, I think, to has created more people who would be skeptical of mandates than might have otherwise existed. Those are two important objections that I'm very dismissive of. Um, <laughs> So I don't really care about them, uh, but I do understand it. Um, f- for example, when th- when you have a baby, your doctor tells you your best practice for you and your grandparents, anybody else in your life is to get an MMR boost, get a whooping cough boost. You don't have those those immunities anymore because these diseases just aren't around. And when you have a baby, you need to have those protections. So go get a boost. Now let's impose that on everybody because there are babies around. How, how dare you go into a McDonald's without having an MMR boost? There are babies present. I mean, it's the sort of thing that that logic just, first of all, it's not the federal government's province. It's an infringement on the rights of, of private individuals and private enterprises. And second, it's paranoid. I, 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 I'm a little, I'm a little uh, confused by that, uh, an, by, by that analogy that you've just given, which is that um, you get your kid an MMR boost because getting mumps no, is... you get wh- one. Well, wait. You as a parent have to get one. Your parents have to yeah, get one. Yeah, they're now recommending it for, for adults. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, you know what? That's new. <laughs> my youngest is 11 and nobody yeah, told no, no, me Yeah, no, no, that is, it is it. new. My sister nobody just had a baby. It's okay. new. They, okay. they recommend so, it, no, yeah. No, his kids are younger than mine, so... But um, by the way, not that I would not that I would mind. But you're saying you're saying you're saying why doesn't everybody get that? Is what you're saying, 
right? I'm saying it'd be insane to say everybody should get that, but I can easily envision a public health regime in which that's best practice because there are babies present. Think of the babies everywhere. Okay, well, there you be outside. There are babies there. No, but there's a but there's a protocol for babies, right? As I understand it, the protocol for babies is until your baby has some immune uh, protections you kind of isolate the baby a little bit like you're you know when when you know until three months or four months or when the first when the first vaccines are 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 given you you you're basically you know you don't want you don't want to pass your kid around like a football and you don't want to do stuff like that and so if you're the if you're the primary Uh, care okay go ahead i'm sorry to interrupt but that assumes that's not the safetyism argument that's the argument of you you take the rational risk upon yourself on behalf of your child who's vulnerable what noah's arguing is you could very well see a federal government public health establishment saying we can't trust people to do that so we will impose this as a man date or as a requirement okay. in order to protect all the babies of the people who might not know to do this. Okay, so I, I I accept that that as a as a theoretical construct is something that could come down the pike and that you could see this kind of the moving the shifting of an Overton window in a kind of medicalization of your life in which you were told you need to do X, Y, and Z to protect other people all the time and you may not want to do that. But that is actually not what's going on right now. <laughs> it's not... That is not the the circumstances that there is a that there is a pandemic and that people catch a disease and then they can pass it on to others. And it's you know, it's not that easy to catch it and it's not that easy to transmit it. Thank God. Otherwise, you know, 100 million people would be dead from the plague. It's not that. But but it's sufficiently a threat to people that you are not only protecting yourself, but you have the added benefit of protecting other people if you get vaccinated and you are therefore doing yourself a solid, your family a solid and your country a solid, you know, by, by, by doing that. And I understand. And the people that I read about in, you know, and with whom I would have suspected 10 years ago, I would have been in sympathy toward about this, as they go further and further down the road toward what was a vaccine hesitancy and is now outright anti-vaccine paranoia, they are making claims about the about the virus and the disease that are not true, that are lies. Either they believe the lies, in which case they are, you know, being credulous fools, or they don't and are spreading untruths for other reasons, in which case they are being, you know, demagogic slanderers who are actively putting the the health of other people uh at risk and and i don't see the reverse in the case of people who support vaccine mandates except some public health officials who may want to go down the road that you're talking about noah in basically creating a regulatory framework in which people are constantly going to the doctor to get shots you know throughout their throughout their entire lives uh, with that, uh, let me tell you that if this conversation makes you nervous and you want to go off and listen to some music and get your head clear, or you want to listen to our podcast in much better sound than maybe you're listening to it now, it's time to consider Raycon wireless earbuds because you can use them to pump up. You can use them to wind down. You can use them to work or work out. They could be your go-to for on-the-go audio 
And the new Everyday Earbuds look, feel, and sound better than ever with an improved rubber oil look and feel and optimized gel tips with the perfect in-air fit. I'm telling you, one of the great things about these is that they send you six or seven different um, tips for inside your ear so you can figure out which one fits you best and irritates you least. It's really a great feature. These are impressive even before you start listening and you get three new sound profiles to make sure you're listening to what sounds it's best. Pure mode helps you with podcast listening. Balanced mode helps you with rock, heavy metal. Uh, bass mode helps you with hip-hop, EDM, reggae. And the all-new awareness mode helps you listen to your surroundings instead. Eight hours of playtime, 32-hour battery life, a built-in mic. You can take calls on your earbuds at the press of a button. Raycon started half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee. So right now, commentary Podcast listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order at buyraycon.com slash commentary. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash commentary to save 15% on Raycons. B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N dot com slash commentary. Can I, can I just add one thing, just n- not because I, I support this extremism, but because I think it's worth acknowledging that the extremism on vaccination and the unvaccinated does go both ways. There are plenty of people on left Twitter who are arguing recently that if you refuse vaccination, you should also be refused health care. The same people who would argue that health care is a universal human right are saying, if you don't get the vaccine, you're so terrible that doctors should deny you health care if you show up at emergency room. So there, the, the, the way in which I think the small group that's fighting this battle right now on either side have, have gone to their corners and become more radicalized is very bad for the public discussion of vaccination. But there, I don't want to leave listeners with the impression that there isn't some crazy extremism on the other side, too, that's the, the, the reactions going back and forth. We have to take that into account as well. Well, that's that's a particularly extreme response that isn't a serious policy position. But here's a serious policy position. We were talking about airlines. Delta Airlines does not have a vaccination mandate. However, if you decline the vaccine, you will be charged an extra $200 on your healthcare premiums. Is that justified actuarially? Does that make any sense as a health policy matter? Are your, are your risks commensurate with that policy premium? Because it's a completely arbitrary number. It couldn't possibly have been arrived at based on any individual risk assessment because your age is, is the primary risk factor and a blanket premium increase doesn't account for your age. It's a punitive measure as a policy matter. That's a little more complicated, though. Where's the right arguing against this? Where's the left talking about the, the particulars of this? Where are we talking about the particulars of this? It is purely punitive, purely designed to induce a social response on your part. Uh, which is much more serious and is policy on the part of these private companies. And it's the flip side of what uh, private business has done with insurance, uh, health insurance for quite a while in the last 10 years, particularly with new technologies, which is like you'll get a you'll get a discount on your premium and your rates if you wear a tracking device that says how many steps you've walked. There have been all kinds of ways. Those tend to be carrot incentives, you know, the nudging behavior, not sticks. This is a stick, but it fits into a worldview where your insurance uh, accessibility is is based on whether or not you're following certain protocols and for certain rules. It also changes um, the the role of, of what an insurance company is supposed to do. It's supposed to pool risk, not uh, not 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 um, steer you toward the uh, sort of, you know publicly perceived good. Right. 
Uh, okay, so um, we were going to talk about a bunch of other things, but this got away from us, so we will spare you those other things and wish you a good day, and we will see you tomorrow. For Abe, Christine, and Noah, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.